Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. We are continuing our series this morning, People of the Way, People of the Way. When we talk about people of the way, that's taken directly from the scriptures where the Apostle Paul was hunting down Christians and, and they were referred to in this manner, people of that way, people of the way. And the people of the way knew Jesus, were known by Jesus, and were known, and this is the part of the series that we're in, were known because of Jesus. They were known because of their relationship with Jesus. That relationship with Jesus had transformed them and was transforming them. Did it mean that they were perfect men and women? Absolutely not. Thus the need for transformation, right? But there was something different about them, and it wasn't the way they dressed necessarily, right? It wasn't the music that they listened to. It wasn't the food that they ate or the wine that they drank. There was something more fundamentally different about these people. And a lot of times we as churches, we get hung up on just this exterior, external differences, right? We get hung up on modesty. We get hung up on where we go to eat or don't go to eat. Folks, it is a lot more powerful than that. There is a core change in people that have met Jesus. It comes from the inside and it goes out. And they were known because of their relationship with Jesus. And of course, it, it all begins with the beginning, going back to the cross of Jesus Christ. And you can't become a person of the way until you know the way, the truth, and the life, which is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who was born of a virgin, lived 33 or so years on this earth, and died on the cross, a sinless sacrifice for the sinners of the world, which are all of us. I have yet to meet someone who's not sinned. Matter of fact, when I look in the mirror, I'm like, maybe today? And nope, doesn't happen. It was really disappointing, but this is why we need Jesus. I remember when I came to Christ for salvation, for forgiveness of my sin, I struggled with whether or not I had a home in heaven. I struggled with whether or not my sins were forgiven. I struggled with whether or not because I blew it again, was God going to forgive me? And I remember I came down to like an altar like this. We call this the altar. And I knelt my, my knee and I, and I bowed my head and I was praying and I was struggling. And I was saying, Jesus, you don't understand. I'm trying to fix things. I'm trying to clean up my act. I'm trying to be better and do better. And, and the answer that Jesus gave me was, that is why I had to die. Because you can't fix you. It sounded, I, I was... I was raised that way, but for some reason it wasn't clicking. And I said, yeah, but you don't understand. <laughs> I've tried so hard. I've tried so hard. And we had this argument at the foot of the cross, and Jesus said, this is why I shed my blood for you. Because you can't fix you. Ask me to forgive you. Ask me to cleanse you, and I will. 
And it was then that I finally figured out that Jesus went to the cross willingly. And he wanted to save my eternal soul, knowing how long it was going to take him to get me even to this spot. And knowing that it's going to take even longer to get me to that next spot, he chose to save me, wanted to save me. And all he asked me to do was say, yes, put your faith in me. Turn from your sin and trust in me. And I did and he did. And it starts at the beginning. If you have not yet had that beginning, this is where you have to start. Don't worry about Romans chapter 12. We're going to be in a few minutes. Don't worry about trying to turn over a leaf. Don't worry about fixing yourself. Don't worry about any of that stuff. Don't worry about how people are viewing you. Am I a good person? Am I a bad person? You ought to be concerned about this one thing. Do I know Jesus and does he know me? Have I placed my faith in him? And do I have a home in heaven? If you don't know that, it starts right here. Ruminate on that. Think about that as I go through the rest of this message. Think about the fact that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came for you personally. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You can put your name in there. For God so loved Eric that he gave his only begotten son. You might say, I don't feel it. I don't feel loved. I don't feel cared for. I don't feel like, listen, emotions come and go. For those of y'all that are struggling with letting emotions lead your life, the best thing you'll ever do is to, to grab, grab, grapple your emotions and, and grab hold of them and make them follow you not the other way around. Okay? You might not feel it, but do you believe it? Do you believe it? It begins at the beginning where we come to Jesus and we trust in him. In Romans chapter 12, verse number 1, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or your spiritual Worship, this is where we understand we must begin at the beginning. The only way that we can present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, is if we have trusted in Jesus' sacrifice first. It's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away our sin, that makes us acceptable and holy before God. Until we've had that moment, you can present yourself to God all you want. It's not going to make a difference. You must have trusted Jesus. You must have begun at the beginning. And then he goes on to those that have trusted Jesus and are presenting their bodies. And let me challenge you, Christian. Uh, we need to do this daily. It's not a one and done kind of thing. We should get up every day and we should do a couple of things. Lord, forgive me for these sins. These are the sins I know in my life. Lord, search my heart. The psalmist said, search my heart, O God. Lord, search my heart for anything in there that is out of alignment with your will, any sin that I might have missed, and, and pause and wait a minute, wait maybe two, three minutes. Allow the Lord to search your heart and to reveal to you things that are out of alignment with his will. Confess those things, and, th and then we ought to say, Lord, now I ask that you fill me with your Holy Spirit and enable me to follow you, and I present myself a living sacrifice to you my arms, my legs, my hands, my feet, my eyes, ears, and my mouth to be used as instruments of righteousness for 
you. That's the beginning of being transformed on a daily basis. Do not be conformed into the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is becoming people of the way. Uh, last time I was here, I pulled up a dashboard here. And of course, this is what we're talking about here. A lot of times we look at the, the do's and the don'ts of scriptures and, and we, we, we get afraid of them and we think of them as something that's negative and we can never please God and we'll never be good enough. And we we look at the Bible as a curse instead of a blessing. And, and I want you to think about the Bible this morning. If you're a believer, think about it as, a, as the gauges on your dashboard of your life. Right? A few weeks ago, we talked about this, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Right, If there are certain things absent from your life, your, your gas tank, your gas gauge might be dipping toward empty. Right, Maybe you're running too hot. Maybe your temper's too hot. Maybe your emotions are out of control. Right? And you might see that, that temperature gauge is rising into dangerous levels. That's telling us something. It's, it's a warning light saying you're not spending enough time with Jesus. It's a warning light saying you're not spending enough time with Jesus being transformed by him. It's a warning that you need to get away and pray and take some time to meditate on the word of the living God. And so we, we talked about what are some measurements that we can look at what are some measurements that will help us understand where we are in our Christian walk. In verses 3 through 10 of Romans chapter 12, we learn that there's a measure of self-awareness, that we ought to know our gifts and our callings. Listen, eKids is starting up next week, and I know that there are still some slots that need to be filled. There are some adults that God has gifted you and called you to minister to children you are exceptionally good at it, and when you're in it, you love it, but you've been holding back, maybe because you've gotten out of practice. Maybe you're a little lazy. Maybe you're a little tired. But can I challenge you? Jump in and get back to work. Get back to work. Guys, we're not here just to kick up our heels and wait till the trumpet sounds and then go to heaven. We are here to serve one another. Matter of fact, E-Kids, the last S, is servant. An e-kid is a servant because Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. I can't wait to preach that next week. Brian might not get much of a chance. Um, so that's one of our measures is, is are you operating in your giftedness? Right? Are you serving others? Are you serving in your church? The measure of belonging. Are you a faithful member of a local church contributing to her health and success on her mission? Uh, in a couple of weeks, I think uh, Peter said June 13th, and that there's another week after that, we're going to have our membership meetings. And if you are here and you've been coming for a while and you're like, dude, this is where God wants me to be. He is planting me into this church. This is my church. This is where you make it official. You join us after service for one of these meetings. We're going to introduce you to the senior leadership we're going to introduce you to bless God, bless others, be the blessing. We're going to give you an idea of who we are as a church, where we're going, where, we're, where we've been. Uh, and then you're going to make an educated decision and hopefully a spiritual one on where God is planting you. See, it's God that's planting you in this church, not you. But you should come in with your eyes wide open. So folks, if you're not a part of a, a church family, you're not a member of a family, man, God didn't design you to be a free agent floating around from church to church, leaving when you get your feelings hurt and 
when you're part of a family, man, you're part of a family. And if he planted you here, get your roots dug in deep. And that's the first step uh, on June 13th after the service. Um, are you using your gifts well? They govern by love. So you discovered your gift. You're aware of your gift. But are you using it well? Uh, some of us are using our gifts out of arrogance and out of pridefulness. And, 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 and that is not a, a good use of your gift. In fact, it's, a, it's, it's useless. The apostle says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that when we use our gifts without love, that we're like a, like a, a, a tinkling brass. We're empty. How are you using your gift? The measure of love. Let love be genuine. Abhor that which is evil. Hold fast to that which is good. And then we looked at this one. Outdo one another in showing honor. Are you honoring one another in your church family? Are you honoring one another in your church family? I love that word outdo. It's like a competition to bless others. That's how it should be. That's how it should be. We shouldn't, when service is over, we shouldn't hit the doors and leave as quickly as we can without actually looking at each other. Without, without taking a moment to see if God would have you be a blessing to someone else. There's almost nothing better in your life than being a blessing to somebody else. You know that. Uh, when it's going really bad for you, how many guys are struggling? And right now, listen, you don't, have, you don't have to tell us what it is. Are you struggling? Raise your hand. Listen, my hand is up because I've been struggling. I don't think it's any secret that our family's been going through something. Uh, and when you're in the middle of that, sometimes people want to pull away from you and they're like, oh, you're struggling so much. Well, listen, don't do that because it empowers you to bless others. It blesses you when you bless others others. Okay, moving on. Well, we asked the question, um, <clears throat> do you have a zeal to serve the Lord and to serve through your church? I think this is an area, as I was mentioning a moment ago, that if you have these gifts and you're not using them, maybe that's your issue. You have a lack of zeal. If you have a lack of zeal, it means you're not walking close to Jesus because Jesus isn't boring and Jesus is the opposite of mediocrity. He's the opposite of boring. He's full of zeal. In fact, he was so full of zeal when he went in the temple and they were making merchandise of the sacrifices of God. They were price gouging people and people, especially the poor people would come and they would need to buy something like a turtle dove or, or, or something like that to make a sacrifice in the old days before the sacrifice of Jesus. These, these, these people in the temple were, were price gouging and, and selling these sacrifices for exorbitant prices. And Jesus came in there, and you know what he did? He made a whip, and he flipped the tables over, and he chased people out because he had a zeal for the house of God, the temple of God, which he said is a house of prayer, but you've made it a house of merchandise. Man, that's zeal. Jesus wasn't a pansy. He was full of the Spirit and full of life. Do you have a zeal to serve God? You know, sometimes we let, we let little things get in our way. We let emotions sometimes, how people treat us. Oh, I don't like this person. I don't like that person. We let things get in our way from being faithful to church, faithful to our service to God, faithful to one another. Instead of having a zeal and saying, Come hell or high water, nothing is getting in my way to serve my Lord and Savior. 
Nothing is going to get in my way uh, that will prevent me from honoring my brother and sister, not even them, when they're punks. So often we don't have any zeal. We, we allow ourselves to be pushed to and fro by every little offense, and we don't have that energy to push through. Church, if you're lacking that energy, you need to get with Jesus because he has all the energy you need. Get with Jesus. We ask the question, um, are you constant in prayer? Half of the battle of being in Christ is being in constant communication through prayer. That's both talking to God and listening to God. Uh, I think I put a, a slide up that was a one-way sign. So many of us think that prayer is one way. Oh, I'm just praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. And nobody ever, or so few people stop and listen Right? How does that work out for you in your marriage when you just talk, 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 and you're like, I don't understand. My husband never listens to me. He never talks to me, or my wife never talks to me, and all you're doing is talk, 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 talk. You know what? You don't stop to take a breath. And when you do, and he goes, well, that's about as much as he gets out. And then you're off to the races again, and you wonder why no one communicates with you. Listen, that's my problem. I know my problem. I'm the talker in my family. I have to consciously stop and listen because I'm so bad at it. Are you praying by listening or just by talking? We must be constant. We must be generous and hospitable, caring for one another well. And then finally, before we move on, we wrapped up with bless those that persecute you. Do not curse them. Most of us have seen very little in the way of persecution on a biblical scale. But when we're persecuted for our faith, when we're persecuted by others, our response as a child of God is to bless them. To bless them. That is not easy. That takes the Holy Spirit filling you. That takes a transformed life. My natural inclination is when somebody hurts me, what am I going to do? I'm going to hurt them back. My natural inclination is not to love my enemies or bless my enemies or bless those that curse me. My natural inclination is to shred them and to leave them in a quivering pile of blood. But, God says, bless those that, sorry, bless those that curse you. Bless them. Don't curse them. Love them. Don't hate them. In fact, Paul has taken this from Jesus where he talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount. If you only love those that love you, what different, how different are you from everybody else? This is that core change that I was talking about a few minutes ago. You might be wearing, listen, I've, I've been to plenty of pastor's meetings where the pastors dress up with a suit, tie, shined shoes, and they're the meanest people you've ever met. You can dress the part, you can look the part, but if your heart doesn't love those that hate you, bless those that curse you, it's kind of like Jesus said to the Pharisees, the outside is clean, but the inside is like a rotting sepulcher, a rotten grave. This is what we're talking about. 
Are you a person of the way? Are you walking with Jesus? Is he transforming you from within? And when your gauges are off, what are you doing about it? Let's go on. We're verse number 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. <clears throat> Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. So let's move on to this next round of learning whether or not you're a person of the way and how your walk is going and where your gauges are at. I think just running through that, some of you were sitting there going, oh boy, my gauges are firing on low for gas and hot for emotions and I'm, I'm not doing well. Well, you have the answer. You have the answer. Get with Jesus. Maybe you haven't even begun your walk and maybe that's why you're struggling so much. But here's the gauge of relationships. And I know that you're looking at the slide, maybe if you're awake this morning, you're saying, he's spelt that wrong. Anybody notice that? If you notice it was spelled wrong before I said something, raise your hand. Really? Really? I thought I was being so clever, it was going to come up on the screen, it was going to, you're going to see that, it's going to hit you, and real relationships, relationships. Guys, this is what the Bible gives us. It gives us relationships that are real, that are deep, that are enduring, that are healthy. Not these shallow relationships that everybody in the world has. Oh, hey, how's the weather? Oh, it's nice. Wow, it's just raining out today. Can't believe Memorial Day it's ruined, right? That, that's, that's just shallow. Real relationships require the Holy Spirit of God involved in them. These attitudes and behaviors are the gauges of our lives. And when they read trouble, we need to turn and return to Jesus. Now, these verses that I just read describe real-life Christianity, the gritty nature of relationships, the gritty nature of real relationships that aren't shallow and useless to those that are involved in them. Relationships that are in Christ require a combination of conflict I feel like somebody's standing behind me conflict I've had to teach my kids this is not a dirty word in fact we grow most when we're in the midst of conflict whether it's relational or just in life I was chatting with someone the other day, and I said, as we were talking, I'm like, when do you grow the most? In your life, when do you have, have you had the most emotional or spiritual growth? When do you all think it is? 
when everything's going great? It's usually when you are in the middle of it that you grow. Trials breed patience and endurance. So real relationships require a combination of conflict and compassion and finally calm in the storm. So first he said rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. And this is interesting because I think a lot of times we just don't know what to say. We don't know what to say when someone is going through a hard time. And at this moment in our church, can I tell you, many are struggling. Many didn't raise their hands, and you all should have. You're struggling. We're struggling with physical health, financial health, and emotional health. And that struggle is dragging you down. And the Bible teaches us that we are to weep with those who weep. And that carries with it the idea that it's okay. Listen now, it's okay not to be okay. Can I say that again? Christian, it's okay to struggle. It's okay to say, really, Lord, what's going on? Who else are you going to ask? I was teaching Psalms uh, last year, the year before, on Wednesday nights, and we got to this particular place where I expressed this, this, what I believe to be an absolute truth. When you ask God why, you're actually expressing faith in his ability to do something. Think about it for a second. Why would you ask God why if you didn't think God could do something about it? So you're beating yourself up. Oh, I, I know I shouldn't ask why. I shouldn't ask why. But when you ask why, you're acknowledging his omnipotence. And when you ask why, you need to shift from there to trusting his goodness. You acknowledge his omnipotence, but now you need to shift and say, Lord, I don't know why, but I know you are good, even though what I'm going through is not. And I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust in you. So we weep with those who weep. We understand that it's okay not to be okay. There's times when our brothers and sisters just simply need us to weep with them, to sit still with them, to just be quiet with them, to not try to fix everything, but to just be present, connected emotionally to the brother or sister who is in distress. You say, is that biblical? I mean, it says weep with those who weep. What do you think? Go back to the book of Job. Would you read Job maybe? And you see that Job had three friends and his three friends both tried to fix everything and tell him everything that was wrong with him and why everything was going wrong. They tried to give him all the reasons. And do you know how much help they were? Not only were they no help, they were a hurt to him and the testimony of God. And eventually, as things rounded out, Job was instructed to pray for his friends Because they messed up so badly. We weep with those who weep. Sometimes my biggest problem as a pastor, and and I I, I find myself doing this with my own kids at times, is when they're hurting, all I want to do, all I want to do is fix it. And um, I have learned a lot about counseling over the last 20 years or so of ministry courses, education, personal experience. 
I know cognitive behavioral therapy. I know what the Bible says. But sometimes all your brother or sister needs from you is to love them at their worst. To just sit with them. To weep with those that weep. I was with a loved one the other day, and they were in a really bad way, and I, was, I slipped into um, Pastor Eric mode. And I was like, well, you need to do this. You have this. You've got to think about that. Da -da -da -da. And this person was honest enough to say, you're not helping me. And I'm like, well, that's insulting. Do you know who I am? I'm pretty good at this. But I wasn't helping them. And they were 100% right. And I stopped by the grace of God. I said, you know what? You're right. I love you. I just want you to know this. I love you. At your worst, I love you. I don't care what's going on. I love you. And I am here with you. And I'm not going to leave you. Folks, we got to get that heart for our brothers and sisters in Christ. we got to learn to do that with each other where we just say, and this is one of the biggest problems in the church today, is we love based on performance. We love based on how okay people are. And you say, I don't do that. But you give people that impression. My wife's not here. She's up north. So I'll share this. You know you what? Hi, babe. Somebody mute this. She taught me this. Maybe I'll say my mom taught me this too because my mom said the same thing. And when your mom and wife both say the same thing, that's not okay. Like, there's something wrong with that. But I used to lift my wife up a lot from the pulpit. You guys remember early on because I think my wife is awesome. She, to me, you know, I would say, oh, Trish is this. And, and I, would, I, would, I would lift her up. And then one day, we're going out to lunch or something, and my wife said to me, Eric, I just need you to stop. I'm like, what? She says, stop talking about me like that because I feel like I always have to measure up to what you're saying. And I'm like, but you are. Like, to me, you're already there. Like, you don't have to try. This is who you are. And she's like, no, it just puts so much stress on me to live up to that. And I never thought of, I thought I'm just like, I'm lifting my wife up. She's awesome. She'll come up. And she's just like, stop. And I was like, huh. And so unintentionally, unintentionally, what I was doing was I was saying, you're worth my love when you are okay. It was unintentional. And it put all that pressure on her. So church, we need to be intentional about making sure that we know people that the people we know are know that we love them. Lord, COVID brain. We need to make sure that the people in our lives, our brothers and sisters, know we love them when they're not okay. We weep with those who weep. There was a pastor who took his life a few years back. He was down in one of the Carolinas or Georgia, right in that area. Ironically, he was the pastor of uh, counseling mental health in his church, a mega church down there. And, um, and he was in counseling himself, and he was helping people, and he had literally saved people's lives with the ministry of this church. And his wife came home one day and found him dead. 
and he was a victim of suicide. And this is what she wanted to promote on this podcast, was that my husband would never have done this if he was in his right mind. He did not commit suicide. He was a victim of suicide. And here's my regret, is that she believed, if I remember, it's wild since I listened to this, but what I took away from it was she felt like he knew she loved him when he was doing well, right? But when he wasn't doing well, he questioned everything. So she, she taught this on the podcast that she was, I think, Angel, you sent that to me, that she wishes that she would have just told him she loves him even when he's at his worst. We need to do that for one another. You know, Jesus is our great example. He is the thing that we are transforming into the personality of Christ. And the Bible says when we were without strength, he died for us. You follow? That's who we're supposed to be with one another. We're supposed to weep with those who weep. We should be present with them, connected to them emotionally. There are those who have not learned that it's not all about them. We're to rejoice with those who rejoice. Folks, when you see people rising in leadership or receiving some honor in the church, our first instinct should be to outdo one another in giving honor. We should be celebrating people. Too often we don't rejoice with those who rejoice. We, we maybe we're on the worship team and we feel like, I should have got that solo angel. And You're not singing it well. I could have sung it better than you. Right? Melissa, like, dude. Instead of rejoicing with Angel that he's finally singing well and giving glory to God for that, right? She's like, oh, could have been me. And then she might sabotage him. When we don't rejoice with those who rejoice, when we haven't figured out that it's not all about us, we're not displaying a Christ-like attitude. When we become angry when we're passed over for an opportunity or when we don't receive recognition that we, that we deserve, folks, that's your gauges going off the chart because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about outdoing one another and showing honor. And too often in the church, it's competition. It's not competition. Brian has stepped into this leadership role of our e-kids ministry. Rick Moore is in a support role. And then I added Stephen Hackett into a support role in the ministry as well. And, and Stephen is, is one of our newer members soon, right? COVID messed everything up. Uh, Stephen has his doctrine in theology. And I'm like, what a great opportunity for me to plug Stephen in to help review the lessons that we're teaching. And you know what Brian's attitude was? Well, why do I need him to do that? I'm the leader of this ministry. I don't need help like that. Who does he think he is? Why do you think he's better than me? That was Brian's attitude. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you should have seen your faces, man. That was fantastic. No, he was like, thank you. Thank you so much. He was grateful. It was wonderful. That is what we should be doing. 
We should be rejoicing with those who are rejoicing, those who are getting ahead in life. We should be cheering them on. Oh, look, this person just got a Cadillac. That, just, that person, my daughter just got a Volvo convertible, right? It's used. And I know some people saw that convertible parked out in front of my house, and they're like, what are we paying the pastor? <laughs> Listen, man, she bought it. Ask her. Instead of rejoicing with it, there were people that drove by the house and were like, huh, I don't have a convertible. Yeah, you don't have the cost of repairing it either. Um, and neither do I, because it's not my car. She's about to enter in the joy of ownership. Anyways, we, we need to stop being jealous of one another and rejoicing with those who rejoice. We must remember that we're all on the same team, harmony. He says that we're to live in harmony with one another. What is that background? Anybody know what that background is? It's a music background. It's a score of music. And do y'all, how many guys took music in, in, what is it, grammar school they start that with? Pam, you can't raise your hand. You don't, you don't count. Everybody knows that, you, yeah. Each of those little black dots represents harmony and rhythm, right? Now, there's some beautiful music when it's sung in unison. And most of what we do here as a congregation is we sing in unison. And then you get a few people like Bruce in the back and myself, and, and there's some others that you just have an ear and you can harmonize, right? And so you just start harmonizing. And it's beautiful. Unison is beautiful, but harmony is better. Because harmony is unity, folks. People tend to think unity is unison, everybody marching in lockstep, everybody exactly the same. That's not unity. Unity must, must involve harmony. People with different skill sets, different personalities, different jobs, different tasks, different gifts, different callings, but all working together. Okay? We're to live in harmony with each other. Harmony is beautiful. So we live in harmony. Um, <laughs> this is... Uh, this is a big, giant, God-sized vision. Something that only God can accomplish and we cannot. The saddest part is when we, do, when we don't even try, when we don't yield, when we dig in and force the Holy Spirit to move on and convict someone else, what brings about harmonious living? Well, number one is a lack of prideful arrogance. I had to learn this a long time ago. My leadership style is this. Um, it's not all about me, and it doesn't have to be my way or the highway. Now, there are some areas where as a leader of the church that God has ordained that I must stand and say, this is it. The buck does stop somewhere, right? But number one is I cannot lead with arrogance, uh, with, with pride, and dig in. Now, some of, some of us, we struggle with that. How many of y'all struggle with that? I want my way or the highway. It's got to be my way. When I used to be the worship leader here years ago, and we had this giant choir, 55 people in the choir. We were singing five-part harmony. We were Easter cantata, Christmas cantata. And we had two quartets out of it, special music. It was a great ministry, and I had to give it up, and I had to step down, and I took over the student ministry back in 1998, and Ron Anthony stepped in, and he did things differently than I would. 
you imagine? Why would someone do differently than me? I mean, I'm the best. And what I had to learn was harmony. It doesn't have to be my way. It doesn't have to be my way. It just has to be. Right? I, I had to put away arrogance. I had to, I had to lower myself genuinely without being disingenuous. You know the difference, right? People that are like false humility versus people that are truly humble. We're supposed to lower ourselves, humble ourselves, recognition that we're not always right. The Bible says not wise in your own eyes. Not wise in your own eyes. Bad leadership is always wise in their own eyes. And let me say this, bad membership is always wise in their own eyes. Bad membership thinks that everyone in the membership is a leader. You're not. You haven't been called to it. You haven't been ordained to it. You're not being led by God to lead. Bad leadership, bad membership is wise in their own eyes. Bad leadership, bad membership repays evil with evil, but good, harmonious membership repays evil with good. It's not about retribution. It's not about vengeance. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Instead, you should be pouring out good upon evil. Being a person of honor. That word honor means beautiful and good. Uh, a, a good disposition, fertile, rich, useful, profitable, excellent, godly, good, pleasant, those are, those are some descriptions of the word honorable, worthy, upright, virtuous. Does that describe you in your family? Does it describe you in your home? Does it describe you in this church? Because this is what the Bible teaches us we should be like. What depends on us? What depends on us? He said, as much as is possible, live peaceably with all men. As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So this is real relationships, right? Conflict, communication, comfort, and calmness, harmonious living. As much as it depends on you. So what depends on you? The list that God gave to us is what depends on us. Are you blessing those that curse you? Are you weeping with those who weep? Are you rejoicing with those who rejoice? Are you overcoming evil with good? Are you outdoing one another with showing honor? Are you operating in your giftedness in your church? Are you a servant of all or are you desiring all to serve you? Is it your way or the highway or are you yielding both to the Holy Spirit and submitting, the Bible says in Ephesians, to one another as much as depends on you. A lot of times we look at that and say, oh, well, you know, I've done my part. But have you really done your part? Are you humble? Are you kind? Are you good? Have you tried to love that person that ordinarily, if it were up to you, you would hate? You're like, Pastor, I'm a Christian, and I would never hate anyone. Mm. Y'all are liars. And you confess that sin. 
Love those you would ordinarily dislike. Like those you would ordinarily dislike. Look out for one another. Reread Romans chapter 12. It's a chapter written to believers to check your own lives as much as depends on you. The list that God gave us. Gave us. There are times when peace will not come. Absolute truth. That's why Paul said it. Much as depends on you. There are times where one party refuses to be or remain humble. Where one party refuses to be or remain a Romans 12 Christian. There are times where their peace is not attainable and you must move on or they must move on. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, Christian. Make sure that that person is not you. Make sure that person is not you. Uh, comedians, I heard this comedian say this. I can't remember who it is because they all say the same thing sometimes. And You know, every friend group has that annoying person. Just think about your friend group. Can you think of that one person that's annoying anybody? Just think about it. You know there's always one person that's just an annoying person. Can you think about that person? Everybody got that person in mind? Raise your hand if you, if you know that person. Just raise your hand. It's okay. You know that one person. Those of you that are not raising your hand because you can't think of that one person, you are the person. So make sure it's not you. Make sure it's not you that's causing the conflict to be unresolved. Finally, the Bible says, as the worship team joins me on the platform, that we are to overcome evil with good. Vengeance, repayment, those are in God's purview. We're to heap coals of fire upon the head of those who are struggling with evil, but the coals of fire of conviction, which leads to reconciliation not coals of fire of repayment and vengeance. Folks, we need to be like Jesus. So where's your gauge at? Is the, uh, is the check engine light on? Now sometimes our gas gauge is running low. Sometimes our temperature gauge might be running a little hot, right? And there's some things we need to do about that. Uh, I used to drive down to my sister-in-law's in West Virginia. I used to take Kirsten's Chrysler Town & Country Handicap Modified Van. And, and I don't know if you've ever driven from here to West Virginia, but there's a lot of mountains. And I remember we were on our way home, coming up out of West Virginia into Maryland. There's this beautiful pass, but it's like an uphill climb for miles. And I'm watching the, the uh, temperature gauge of the van doing this. And finally, I had, a, I had a, one of our teens was, was one of our helpers with Kirsten, uh, Melissa Winship, and she was driving out, and I finally had to have her pull over because she couldn't seem to drive and pay attention to the gauge at the same time. Uh, and so she was young, 17 or something, so I had to take over. And as you're climbing that hill, man, sometimes you got to pull over, let it cool down, continue. There's no gas stations on this thing either. It's kind of like, just Lord, please turn the heat on, right? Anybody? have a vehicle like that in their past, roll all the windows down, turn the heat all the way up. Right? Now, when that engine light comes on, though, 
That's a big deal. That engine light comes on, it means there's something could be seriously wrong. Check your engine light, church. And if something seriously is wrong, you need to get away with God. Spend some time with Him. Is it me, Lord? Is it me, Lord? What's going on in my heart? Is there something in there that I haven't allowed you to work on that I've been hiding from you? Read chapter 12 of Romans. Check your own gauges. Hey, all thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.